91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. Everyday food addictions can make an impact in getting off of drugs. You'll start off with a conversation about the body response to foods and the environment. Addictions are addressed in the later part of this interview with Dr. David Busher, who's worked in environmental medicine in this region for decades. Tell me how you got involved in the work of studying allergies. Well, I was a family doctor in Alaska at a, uh, a neighborhood health center up there. We saw 50, 60 patients a day. It was a training center for nurse practitioners and physician assistants from the University of Washington. I got involved with other clinics up there. I was at the staff of the two hospitals. Um, I ran the uh, methadone cl- program, the uh, drug addiction clinic, the alcoholic treatment center, the free clinic, and I basically got tired. I eventually got exhausted, and I was planning on leaving uh, and going somewhere else, getting another specialty, but I wasn't sure what that was. Just prior to my leaving, not knowing where I was going to go, but I knew I needed something different. I actually uh, had a very difficult time with medicine. It wasn't what I thought it would be. I spent 10 to 15 minutes with each patient. We had to get them out of the door, out of the door. My waiting room was packed all the time. I was always behind. I was frustrated. I didn't think I was practicing. I didn't think I was giving my patients a good deal, basically. Too short shrift, quick decisions without enough thought to know the real problems. So I had to find something else, and I wasn't sure what that was. Well, one of the doctors interviewed for my position was an MD, PhD. He was a professor of medicine from the University of Chicago. He was way overqualified for my position. Why would he come up here to ask for this sort of general practitioner position? It turns out his wife was sick. She could no longer live in Chicago because of the pollution. In the city, the, the pollution was too high. In the suburbs, the pesticide levels were too high. They were looking for a clean environment for his wife. That's why he was coming to Alaska. Well, I asked him, well, I thought it was interesting. I'd never heard of such a condition before. This was uh, maybe 50 years ago, approximately. And, um, and I said, how did you find out about it? He told me about a doctor, Theron Randolph. He said, you need to check this doctor out. He's ahead of his time. So I read some of his literature. I read a couple of his books, Dr. Theron Randolph, and I went to spend a weekend with him. I was immediately impressed by his integrity, his intelligence, his wisdom, but I didn't know what he was doing exactly. So eventually he invited me to spend some time with him. So I spent two years under his tutelage. And what we did there, so he was an allergist. He was trained at Harvard. He was considered the father of environmental medicine, when he was, he used to teach at some of the medical schools in Chicago, and um, he had some difficulties because he had what was called a pernicious influence on medical students. He started talking about food allergies back 50, 60 years ago and teaching medical students about it. But the, some of the professors didn't like that. So he went off on his own. He formed his own academy, his own, uh, called the Human Ecology Research Foundation. That's where I spent two years of training. So this was an incredible experience. Um, so here I was a doctor kind of discouraged with medicine, wondering what can I do that would be meaningful to really help my patients. So what Dr. Randolph had set up, a hospital unit oh, about an hour outside of Chicago, north of Chicago, called Zion International Hospital. Uh, he had a 20-bed unit, 25-bed hospital unit. It was environmentally controlled. It was separate from the rest of the hospital had extra air filtration. Everything was made out of uh, solid materials, glass, steel, cotton, tile. No synthetics, 
there were double doors who could we to allow uh, who we would process to come in. We had to make sure they didn't have any chemicals in their body. We had extra air filtration. And then we did with these people, and they were very sick allergic patients from referrals from, from around the country. And they had chronic illnesses of all kinds. They had migraine headaches. They had arthritis. They had asthma. They had severe skin reactions. They had ADD. Um, they were in pain. They were fatigued. They had bad allergies. They were sensitive to many different allergens, but they couldn't be properly treated by their local doctors. So what we did, we sent to this referral center. So we did with these patients is we fasted them on water for five days, all of them. What happened was here they were in an environment drinking pure water away from all their allergens in their normal environment at home or the workplace, and now no, no foods for five days completely withdrawn from everything they could possibly be allergic to. They were now in a sterile, like, new environment. And that's where we began to test them one thing at a time. So we would test them with one thing at a time. One food for, like, a, a wheat of meal, uh, wheat, not just bread, but, like, whole wheat. Or we give them a bowl of whole cornmeal. Or just steak, whatever we decided to test them to. And they go through this process over a two- to three-week period. So what would happen when they were on a five, four, four to five-day water fast, it was very difficult because they all went through horrendous withdrawal symptoms. It's like we've been addicted to drugs. Their pain would get worse. They would feel like flu-like symptoms. Their headaches would, would happen. They would feel terrible. They'd get maybe sick to their stomach. And, um, but after four to five days, they would clear, and they would feel great. They'd feel like healthier than they had ever before. In years, they've been suffering these chronic illnesses for so many years, and all we did was put them in a clean environment, take away all the foods, they felt well. So what's making them sick? So that's the idea was, one food at a time and see what produced their symptoms. And a couple of amazing things I remember was how bad the people with arthritis got. They often would give them the food at night, like the, a meal of wheat, and how bad they were the next morning. How many would wake up with, their, with severe stiffness and pain in their joints. They had these delayed reactions. So it turned out a lot of these chronically arthritic pain patients, it was due to the foods they were eating, and they had no idea. Because they're eating the foods every day of their lives and not recognizing they were reacting to these foods because they're in their system all the time. And the other interesting thing was we tested them to organic foods. So I started eating organic food 46 years ago because of Dr. Randolph. He knew how to get it and where to get it. He knew all the farmers, the, the, the cattle raisers, the pig farmers, the chicken, who had clean food and didn't. So we tested him to those foods in the beginning of the test. So say we tested the patient for eggs and, say, chicken, and they, it didn't cause any trouble for them. So we let, we, they ate that while they were there. But towards the end of the stay, we got chicken and eggs from the local supermarket. I won't say which ones, but the local non-organic uh, chemical-type foods that we all are accustomed to eating. And within a day or two, every one of these patients got sick. They could eat organic food without symptoms, but we'd give them the rugger food with, with pesticides and additives, whatever is in it, they would get sick. And I was very interested how much it affected them mentally, how much I noted mood changes and depression and irritability, crankiness. And um, just the facial expressions would change when they would get these chemicals in their body. So, so I did that for two years, and, and so I, every day I was just, are you kidding me? It was what they were eating that caused these bizarre symptoms that I'd seen for, two, for years up in medic, my regular medical practice, not knowing. I would just give them symptom-suppressive drugs, you know, more steroid drugs or Motrin or uh, opiates, whatever it took to make them feel better, or 
we would see also patients with cardiac irregularities, high blood pressure, and we, on a fast, their blood pressure would normalize. Their rhythms go away. Challenge them to a foods, these blood pressure would go up. So it puts a stress in the body, these foods. And, and because, again, we don't, I'm not saying every case of high blood pressure in the country is caused by food allergies, but it was in most of these patients that we saw and treated. So that's kind of how I got reoriented in medicine. I left there with what I felt with extremely powerful tools now to really diagnose what was really going on. Uh, Mr. Johnson, it's what you're eating. Mrs. Johnson, it's what you're eating, what you're breathing, what you're exposed to at home or workplace. And we, we, I think it is, I would tell patients that now, and we would, then we would carefully work out how to, how to determine that. We didn't have this environmental unit anymore, which, by the way, there's, they don't exist anymore because they're too expensive and uh, just wouldn't be covered by insurance anymore. So we've figured out other methods to determine these allergies in patients, not as good as that, epi- that method, but uh, less expensive and easier for patients to go through in a way, too. Another question I have is about um, if you could tell me more about Dr. Randolph and how he got involved in this. What is environmental medicine versus allergies? Yeah, I think the difference is we are like do allergy work, but we're not allergists. Um, we do, I think the difference is we take more, more attention to food allergies. I think allergists will do their, their prick test allergies on the skin, which only tests for IgE, which is like the allergy reaction we have to pollens and, you know, cats, think like that. Uh, whereas food allergies are not just mediated through the IgE immediate allergy pollens system. It's mediated through a, a different level. It's mediated through the mast cells, which are allergy cells that are, are more complex than just IgE. And it's managed through the uh, the cellular defense system, not just the antibody system. So we spend a lot more time looking at foods, uh, uh, the immediate reactions, the oils, delayed reactions, the food addiction type problem. Um, so we spend a lot of time testing foods. We do the same things as far as the pollens and dust mites, animal dander. We, we totally agree with that. We also spend more time with the chemical environment where we think a lot of our patients are sick from the chemicals. So we ask our patients to make their home chemically free as possible, their detergents, their cleaning agents. Uh, we ask our patients to be careful with kind of building materials they use. We see so many patients that were sick from the new, the new carpets, the outgassing chemicals from paints and adhesives, uh, particle board, things like that. I believe the allergists believe in all that too, but I think our testing methods are different. Now, Dr. Randolph was an allergist. He was, in, he was a, trained at Harvard, and uh, he was board certified, had all the right credentials and all that, and he was a member of all the allergy societies. But he and other colleagues of his, they didn't think the skin testing were adequate. So there's such a big difference between putting a pinprick of a drop of a food substance on your skin and sticking the needle and eating a whole food. Food is complex. It's got multitudes of antigens in it. You swallow food, processing through all the immune cells in the back of your throat, through the gut, which is a huge immune organ. It's, you know, it's a much more complex than a little prick skit on your skin. That's why Randolph started this unit. It's the challenge test in a pure environment. That was how he did it. Uh, he came to that conclusion. And they ended up elimination diets, challenge testing, uh, that kind of method determined food allergies.
He was the first doctor, the very first to talk about chemical sensitivities. And he, he, it's interesting because he, he, he did, you know, Randolph listened. Randolph listened. Because when we, we took a history of my patients, he didn't ever give them any funny looks because they had these weird stories. He typed it. He typed everything they said word for word. But the records he kept were incredible. And then we'd go over the notes that later that week or that night, and he f- to figure out what am I missing here. And so, like, one of the first C cases he had this woman who had debilitating migraines, and they would last for weeks at a time, but they only happened when she went to her cabin. So he finally figured that out, and then he talked about, and because she had a, a propane stove that was leaking, that was his first sense that something like maybe environmental things were causing migraine headaches. So he opened up his thought process to think maybe there's things like that in the chemical environment. So he was really big on people getting rid of their gas stoves back, you know, 1960, 70, because they leaked a lot. And the little burner was outgassing gases, burning combustion uh, products in the room. So he would, things like that, to get rid of the gas stove. And, and, and then I remember we, were, we saw our first cases of mobile home. People got sick when they bought mobile homes, how sick they got. The formaldehyde, they were like gas chambers they moved into. And, and, and then they would become, become allergic to everything after that. So he's, he's the one that sort of broke open the door on that. And it's been a lot of flack ever since. It's so hard to prove, you know, legally, medically, the whole thing. It's like, I mean, now we're beginning to, people are talking more about, you know, green and uh, low VOC paints and non-toxic carpeting. But 40 years ago, no way. It was like, what are you talking about, you know? And so we would tell patients to, to get rid of their carpet and uh, uh, maybe move out of the mobile home and stuff. And, and a lot of people didn't agree with that. They thought we were overboard with this stuff. And would you say that some of these cases that came in at that time, you know, to Dr. Randolph's program, were they like some of the worst cases in the country, like very debilitating or people that you might see on the streets here who have chronic issues? You know, they weren't like you would say you you wouldn't probably recognize them to being ill unless you saw them move. You would see they're stiff and they're achy and uh, or you talk to them, you know, they'd see they're unwell. A lot of these people are like sort of like um, the chronically unwell. Never feel good. They have egg, lot of aches and pains, migraine headaches, a lot of intestinal trouble, bladder infections, prone to infections all the time, and not really know why. Uh, these patients often are uh, sick as children, as infants. They're not well. They go through periods of wellness, and they go periods of getting sick again. It goes on and off type of thing, but generally just gradually downhill course. It's not they're going to die really, but they're not going to have a real full, healthy, you know, abundant life the way they could if they didn't have these conditions affecting them. One more thing to say, Simon Randolph. When I worked with him, he was 75 years old, and he was sharp as a tack. He worked... Six days a week, well, seven days, actually. Plus, he wrote papers. He worked at the hospital. He did his rounds with me every morning at 6 o'clock. And um, we would get up and have breakfast together. Every morning, he would have fish and a vegetable or fish and a, and a fruit. I eat with him. He eat real clean. Uh, and so he was like, when he was 78 years old, I'd say, Ted, we call him, how can he become so sharp in this your age and all that? Because he used to read the obituaries of his classmates from Harvard. And they were either dead or not practicing. 
He says, because I was controlled my allergies. I didn't think much of that. Come on, Ed, it's not your allergies. But later I learned that allergies cause inflammation, and they cause inflammation in the brain. They cause inflammation everywhere. So that's why his brain, it was not inflamed all the time by all these allergens that people are eating and consuming all the time. Dr. Bushner mentioned at the beginning of the last excerpt with me that he had operated a methadone clinic in Alaska before studying with the late Dr. Theron Randolph. He shared an aspect of the work at the methadone clinic that ties into the body response to addictive foods. The methadone program, it was a very unsuccessful program. We, they were methadone, but they were these people were still using drugs on their side. And we were all discouraged about it. The therapists were there. We kind of bummed out about it. Uh, and then we had about 30 clients, I guess you'd say. And I noticed they were eating terrible. They had, we'd come in the morning, and there was big stacks of sugar, not just a, a container, but the bags of it, and uh, donuts and stuff, and coffee. And, I, and it was a mess. It was like sugar slapped all over the place and pastries left over. And I said, what was this? And I just started to get into some nutrition around that time in my life. I said hey, to the guys, why are we feeding these people this stuff? And, uh, and so we, we changed that. We got, we got rid of the sugar. We started getting them whole grain stuff and, uh, and fruits. And interesting enough, a year later, more people got off the program. A third of them got off the program. And I didn't think too much, well, they're eating healthier. Well, it's the other, okay, the other part of this, Randolph, what do you, what do you call He called it the addiction triangle. He said we get addicted to foods as children. We're eating the same foods, wheat, corn, soy, eggs, tomato, whatever. And um, we get a little older, we start, to, we call the food drug combinations. That's the soft drinks. But you see it's a food. So we're getting, we're moving up the ladder, the pyramid a bit. We're getting like, we're trying to get like a stimulatory response, okay? Then we get to tobacco, okay? Tobacco, nicotine. Then you get to alcohol. Then you get the opiates at the top of the peak, you know? So we were working with these people at the top of the peak, but they had all these underlying addictions and we moved some out of their system, and they, they were easier for them to get off the opioids. So that, that dawned on me later why they got off, because Randolph had this addiction pyramid thing. It, it is about the stimulus then. Yes, it's a- a stimulatory response, but there's usually a down. For every high, there's always a down. The sugar high, the sugar low is more obvious. People know about them, but it happens with other less. See, sugars absorb rapidly. Whereas the other foods are not some over a slower reaction in the body that's not as obvious as the sugar high or the alcohol high, low, that kind of thing. It's a different, it's more subtle that we're not aware of. That was Dr. David Busher, who practices as a family doctor and environmental health specialist in Redmond, Washington. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.